Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete podcast. Today's guest is with Renee Richardson. She is the CEO of Broccoli Content, a company she founded in 2018. I think Broccoli is one of the most exciting podcasting companies out there right now. It's a multi-genre podcasting joint venture between Rene and Sony Music and is focused on the development and distribution of original programming. Rene has previously worked for podcast platforms including Acast and Audible and she is a very successful independent podcast creator in her own right. Her credits include About Race with Rene Edo Lodge and the receipts on BBC Radio 1 Extra. In this episode, we talk about Broccoli's recent brilliant initiative called the Equality in Audio Pact, which The Guardian and the BBC and many, many others have signed in the last few weeks, me included. And it's really a very simple pact to really encourage more equality in audio, as it says on the tin. And there are five things. One is pay interns, no longer use unpaid interns. Two, hire LGBTQIA plus black people, people of colour and other minorities on projects that are not only related to identity. Three, if you are a company that releases gender pay gap reports, release your race pay gap data at the same time. Four, no longer participate in panels that are not representative And five, be transparent about who works for your company as well as their role, position and permanency. If you want to sign the pledge and you work in the audio space, then go to my show notes and click the link. I hope you enjoy this episode. I really loved talking to Renee about her career, the future of podcasting, the future of broccoli and making the audio space more equal. Hope you enjoy this podcast. If you did, you know what to do. Please go and leave a rating on iTunes. It really helps people discover the show. Thanks again. And here is the episode. I'm so excited to be joined by Rene, the CEO, founder of Broccoli. And I was just saying, it's great to interview you uh, remotely because you know you're a pro so I, I know the audio will be will be up there so that's a lot of pressure now <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking anyway, it'll just be it'll just be better than mine well first of all congratulations on everything you're doing I followed the amazing announcement I don't know when it came out but it was in like variety it was all over the internet about you being the first production company podcast production to partner with Sony so we were the first UK one. It came out last, I think it was announced last October. We signed the deal in September and it was kind of a whirlwind. Yeah, it was, I didn't start 2019 going, yeah, I'm going to sign a major deal with a major record label. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's so incredible because I think we first emailed just very quickly about um, when you were first working on Rennie Edo Lodge's podcast. And I really want to get to that and talk about that and how it's taken on a new life during this time. But um, it was amazing to see you just kind of jump into this incredible space and just show people that, do you know what, you don't have to necessarily work for other places, you can create your own. That was one of my main things. So I had, I started in like, let's say media from the age of 14. 
Um, so I have, I've been around the block and like I was a child actor. Then I worked in a talent agency in the post room, PFD, worked my way out of that to become an agent's assistant. Then obviously we all quit and started United Agents. So I worked there. Then I worked at Curtis Brown. Then I lived in on a mountain for a year in Canada. Then I came back, <laughs> uh, worked at Drama Republic, which is... Um, Greg Brenman and Rowena Ben's company, they make, uh, Greg exec produced Peaky Blinders and they made Honourable wow. Woman, Black Earth Rising. Um, I worked for Stephen Fry's company for a little while. Then I worked on sets. Basically, at the end of all of that, I had retired. <laughs> I was like, I got a bit jaded finally. And I was like, do you know what? I, I was a vegan at the time. I was like, I'm just going to open a vegan cafe. Like I trained as a barista. <laughs> like I, I was legit going to do it. And then this job came along at ACAST and they were like, hey, working in podcasts. I was like, this actually sounds really interesting. And so when I, as soon as I got into podcasting, I knew that it was an industry I wanted to make a change and kind of broccoli is, it's kind of that goal where you, not that we're like leading the change or like, you know, we've still got a long way to go, but I feel with broccoli, that's what I've always wanted to do. That's amazing. I was so intrigued at how you got to that point because like you say, it's never just like, here I am, I've arrived. It's like so much work along the way. And also I feel like in podcasting, I'm always so interested in people's background and like what they did beforehand because it's still kind of new, not that new, but it just means that you might've come from like a different part of the industry or something like that. Yeah, because a lot of the production companies or people who are like running podcast networks, they're from a radio background and I haven't worked in radio at all. And one of the main things I wanted to do with make a point like with Broccoli and just like even when I went freelance was that you don't have to have a radio for credit um, in this country or I guess in America, it would be like NPR or WYC mm. credit. You don't need those credits to succeed. You can just have ideas and you just, you've got to put the graft in and it's not easy, but like you don't need to go those traditional routes because I might, like I said, my first job, apart from the child actor part, which I was terrible at, um, I got a job in a post room and because email is so, you know, everywhere, a lot of post room jobs don't exist now. So how could someone like me who didn't have a degree get into an industry And so it's like, it's really important that our mission with Broccoli and just what I've always been about is creating opportunities for people and kind of, you don't need to go to traditional routes of like entering an industry. You can kind of make your own way. Yes, I love, yeah, that's so, so true. It's And it's good to hear that because traditionally there were these like hoops and I know there's all sorts of hoops people still need to go through, but at least it's not like you make the tea in the radio room. Before I ask you my next question, would you be able to tell the listeners what broccoli means? I know that on your website, it says it's content that's good for you, which I love, but it also has another meaning, doesn't it? Yeah, um, broccoli, basically it was with Rennie Edo Lodge. So it was before her book came out, she'd already written the essay, because I think that was from 2014, um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, which is available on her website. And I just recognise like podcasting is super, super white. And I was like, hey, there's this girl. And I knew her book was coming out because she'd, I think it was on, you know, like, well, you know, when you say coming summer 2020, you know, whatever, like you, it's always announced ahead of time when your book is coming out. So I knew a book was coming in. I didn't know what was in the book because I hadn't read it, but I was like, this girl's going to be a star. So I took her to like, I DM'd her, not DM'd her. I went via her website, got in touch. I do not know her. People think we knew each other because our names are similar, which is really weird because you don't only make friends with people with similar names. Um, We did not know each other. We were strangers. (laughs) I got in touch with her via her website. 
she was open to the idea of podcasts. And so we met and she wrote a pitch for a series um, about race. And basically where I worked at the time, which was a Brooklyn based podcast company, they have like a decision making commissioning team. They, their first question was, does she really not talk to white people about race? Cause I'd sent them her essay. And then basically as the meetings went on, like Rennie and I were meeting like on and off throughout the year, a whole year of like trying to get this show off like commissioned via the company I was working for. And like at the end, they basically said it was broccoli. I was like, what the hell does that mean? Because <laughs> like, I love broccoli. I was like, I'm a, you know, don't eat meat. So broccoli is a key staple. Um, and they said that it means it's good for you, but no one wants to eat it. So they were saying that a race-based show based on race in the UK, no one wants to listen to that. And so at that point, we obviously knew there's no point trying to push it. Like it, the show just isn't for them because they also wanted to make it about a race in America. They wanted to, us to be mindful that it would be a majority white audience, which would mean having to water down what the content is about. So basically after all those meetings, we knew both of us, me and Rennie knew it wasn't for them. I ended up getting fired from the company. <laughs> I'm a bit of a troublemaker, like when it comes to, you know, race stuff. I like to talk out. And basically, Rennie had emailed my old work email and it had got a bounce back because America, they literally delete you like when you're still in the door. <laughs> and then she DM'd me on Twitter. She's like, I got a bounce back. Are you okay? And I told her and she still wanted to make the podcast. So that's why we kind of went and made the podcast. But I wanted to use that term. The reason I named my company that was because it's a term, it's stupid, first of all. Broccoli is awesome. And yeah. content that is good for you is a good thing. Like having things that are good for you, how is that bad? <laughs> so I wanted to name my company because it kind of one of those things where it does what it says on the tin. And we are making a statement that actually all the people who use the term broccoli and has used, it's mostly used in America, but used it against creators of color or people about issues that don't directly affect the people who are making the decisions. I wanted to name it. And like every time you eat a piece of broccoli, every time you see the word, you will think of my company and you also think I made a mistake. And that's why I named 100%. it because I'm very petty. <laughs> that is honestly genius. I think it's incredible. And also, like you say, what a rubbish argument that we shouldn't make things that are good for us. People are having like a, obviously now having a crisis. People are starting to learn things and realize things were ignored in the past. But it's it's decisions like that. Just because something doesn't directly affect you does not mean it shouldn't be um, focused on, platformed, spoken about and kind of learned about. It's not always about you. It's not always about me. Sometimes you have to be able to either connect with um, an issue that just doesn't affect you because you really, you recognize it's important. And with race issues and race content, that has been ignored for so long. Yeah, and I saw your tweet the other day because Rennie's podcast, it would, took over the iTunes homepage this week, practically. It's hit, I think you said it had like 40,000 downloads in a day. Yeah, it was, a, we had like, the next day it was like 56 or something like that. Um, so it had just gone up and up. And you said it was bittersweet. 
It was because it was our first, we wanted that show to be number one <laughs> the first time around. So it came out two and a half years ago and we were up against like Fern Cotton hogging the number one spot. Fine, you know, good for her. <laughs> we didn't get to number one. The show was a success back then, but we didn't get to number one. And it was sad because we got to number one, but the worst part, it was kind of like we were right. We were ahead. So you kind of get punished like for having vision and for seeing like the future and what is actually needed. We were kind of held back and restricted in what we did, what we made and how we can make it because people didn't have vision back then. And originally when it was out in 2018, Apple were the only app to feature us, to give us the same banner that we've got now. They gave us that back then. They were the only app. We were only featured in the, you know, the Guardian um you know, when they have podcast picks for the week or whatever, like they have three and things like that. We were featured in there once and then no one else wrote about us. No one else featured us until the end of the year where we were in the some best of the year podcast. But all the people who could have written, who love writing about podcasts and love platforming Louis Theroux and everyone else who's like everywhere all the time, did not write a single word about us. I saw Miranda Sawyer recommend our podcast I was like, oh, so you have heard it. She tweeted it last week, like recommending it as a resource for learning about race. I'm like, oh, so you did hear it. You just chose not to platform it when it didn't matter. But now that it's in vogue, you want to feature us. I'm not about, like, you need to be about it. Like, just because you did three editorial spreads on George the Poet does not mean you are you platform people of color or black women and I'm like and now you're doing it great good for you you know a few years too late but I'm not going to give you cookies for doing what you should have done years ago because you are a person of power in a position of power and it's like people abuse their power by only platforming people they like or their friends Mm -hmm. or because it's cool and it's like so that's why it was kind of it was bittersweet because our what we should have been celebrating, what we would have been celebrating if it happened two years ago was kind of tarnished because it took like a brutal murder to get us there for people to recognise what we had been saying the whole time. Yeah, I, I, what I was thinking about to do with your tweet and I, was, and I think a lot of people are asking this is why now? Yeah. Why, why now? Because like you say, it's, this is something that everyone should have been aware of before. It's funny because like I haven't, I feel like I've not tweeted anything new <laughs> in the last week, last two weeks. So I go through phases of Twitter, like sometimes I'm on it, sometimes I'm not. Um, and I'm in a, a Twitter phase. But like I've not tweeted anything I haven't tweeted before, apart from the Equality Pact. But I've not tweeted anything new. And it's like, oh, but you're actually hearing me now because you recognise your part. And what I've been having lots of conversations offline as well, where I've said to people, you know, I've never worked for a far, well, that I know of, a far-right organisation. I've never worked for an alt-right boss, an openly Trump-supporting boss, a Brexit means Brexit boss. But (laughs) in audio, I have experienced the most racism I've experienced in my whole career. So I'm like, so who is actually doing it? It's not, it's not Trump support. It's not Brexit supporters. It's the liberals who think they're okay. Mm-hmm. It's the people who turn a blind eye. It's the people who come up with terms like broccoli to content that doesn't relate to them. And you've got to start looking at yourself. And I think people are week two into their learnings and, and, or unlearning, should I say. But like, you're not going to get rewarded because now everyone's doing, looking at, oh, I should be learning about race. And because you're like, oh, I had heard about it. Let me tweet it. If you didn't tweet it before, I don't mean people who are tweeting it as listeners. I mean those in positions of power. 
hundred percent. You know, by the way, I have work to do. Everyone has work to do. I've noticed though when someone's being incredibly frantic right now. Yeah, it's it's. I'm happy. It's we seem to be. We're in something. I can't even call it. I call it the revolution. I've been calling it the revolution for years. I'm like, who's joining the revolution? But like, we're in a moment for sure. And I think people are starting to look at what they're doing. And people, like you say, are frantic. They're like, oh my God, something's going to change. I need to actually pick a side now and do it. I need to do something. And people are like, that's why you get those stupid tweets. (laughs) There was an, an, a literary agent, uh, a company I used to work at, and he tweeted how, oh, you know, it's, you know, now's the time clearly that people want to hear voices from minorities and the mainstream has ignored them for so long. And you're like, you head up literary agency. You are the mainstream. And but I think he recognises a white man. Oh, I need to be part of the solution. So let me do a quick hot take and be like, look at me, I could see it. And people, he he basically had to apologise. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. but I think people are jumping on, they're recognising it. People who recognise they're going to be left behind because they had been in positions of power for so long and have, have done the um, restricting and oppressing, they're like, I need to basically rebrand and be like, I'm part of this movement. Whatever the movement, wherever it leads, they want to be part of it. And it's leading to really stupid things. Well, talking of holding people to account, though, because I don't know if you would call yourself an activist, for example, but what you're doing with the Equality Pact, with the Audio Pact, you're making change happen and you're using this moment to actually benefit, an in, you know, the industry and also your work and just mean make it better. But how how did that come about and what made you realise, right, this is this is something that needs to happen? Yeah, well, I definitely wouldn't call myself an activist because <laughs> um, I think there's people, people make it their, like their lives work. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying something. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm shocked by how it's taken off, to be honest, like <laughs> it's surprising. But it was, it basically was the end of like the first week the George Floyd video came out and the, but it was in the same week that the Amy Cooper, you know, the Central Park um, mm-hmm. birdwatching video came out. And I was like, I've never seen that. We've heard about those kind of stories. We've never seen it play out in video that way. We've also never seen a man dying slowly. Clean. I haven't personally seen it, you know, clinging to his breath. And I didn't watch the whole video, but like we've never mm. seen those things. And it was, they were both once two sides of the same coin and they, they demonstrated two problems. And so that week it just ignited so many conversations in private. And on sun, on the Sunday night before I went to work, I was like, I wanted to do something. So I was like, an equality pact. That's all I knew. That's all, I didn't, it didn't even have a name. It was a challenge to the audio industry. Because I was like, for too long, the audio industry has been allowed to get away with how it's been. And I knew it had to be five points because it's a good number. <laughs> and I had two and they had to be easy and they had to be implementable immediately. So I had the two points, which is pay interns. If you actually don't pay interns, it's illegal. So mm-hmm. pay interns. I know a lot of them were like, you know, if you're not doing this, I'm worried. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it was, it had to be easy. And it, yeah, pay interns I had, and then hiring uh, minorities on projects that are unrelated to their identity. So like, if you're hiring a black person, it shouldn't be on a black show. I mean, it can be, but it shouldn't just be that reason. And so I went into work and spoke to the team, the Broccoli team. And then we came up with other, uh, three other points. We just brainstormed them. And because like we said, the brief was actionable today. And then we like, what was, how are you going to get it out? And I said, I don't know, we'll just tweet it. And then I'll add some people. 
<laughs> that was basically the plan. <laughs> um, we got um, four other companies on board to be like launch, like, you know, United Front. But literally the plan was tweet it and then at people. And it's worked. And I thought maybe by the end of the week, we'd have 25 signups if we were lucky, like 25. And then we'll see, we'll just, you know, slowly trickle, you know, slowly apply pressure. But by the end of like the, by the Thursday or the Friday, which is three and a half days after I initially did the first tweet, we had, I think it was 120 companies, including BBC Radio. BBC, I did not see that coming. <laughs> that was a good that when I saw you tweet that I was like that's that's epic yeah amazing. yeah I didn't yeah I didn't think and so fast which is shocking and so yeah we and then we had companies in America sign up it just took off because I think it's resonated with people want to do stuff something people want to know what can I do and it's a classic question that everyone asks I asked it what can I do and I thought this is an easy way it makes all of our lives better how can you be against equality in audio like how can you be against it so it was something mm-hmm. that we just wanted to push. And I think that's why it's resonated with people because they recognize audio has had a problem for a long time. You're looking for something. What can I do? Hey, there's five points. All I have to do is this. It's actually quite easy. Maybe share it. Easy. Yeah, it's it's really brilliant. I'm so I'm so happy that so many people have signed it. Like every time I go on Twitter, there's a new person. Yeah. Um, like I saw something else have just signed. Like yeah. Some really, really Wondery have signed. Yeah. It's like it's there. We've got great companies who have signed and really, really supporting it. So on that topic of um, equality and audio, so I there was a study last year in 2019 by Quartz, I think it was, and it said that 85 percent of podcasts in the sample data had had white hosts and that 18% had non-white hosts. And I just wanted to bring it up and, and raise awareness of that as, and also kind of question why that is because podcasting does feel like this, there's no barrier to entry type of platform. What do you think is like still this kind of root of the problem? So I was on a panel once, I can't remember where I was, but it, I was basically with a guy who does research on politics podcasts. And he listed like a stat of the lack of diversity in political podcasts. And I was like, but that's actually not true because one of my favorite podcasts is called The Read. I think its actual category is comedy, but it's one of the most political podcasts I listen to. It would not, so it didn't, it wouldn't have come up in here. If you're just looking in the politics category, Mm. it wouldn't have come up. And I think podcasting is more diverse than the stats say. It's just that the, Black and brown, like shows hosted by black and brown people are sidelined and never platformed. They're never brought into the mainstream. Like if you look on the Apple, um, Apple have a life at home section. There are 98 podcasts in that section. And there is one with a a, a person of color on the artwork. So it's like, but we're yet, we're all at home. Mm -hmm. And there are podcasts like, you know, they've got sections of cooking, garden, you know, whatever you do at home. Basically, there are podcasts hosted by people of color that could be in there. They're just not. And I think it's just that you can look at the main pool. I think people do their data and they only look where they know. How can I name a hundred black shows, but like the people who are doing data pools and whatnot can't? It's like, so you just don't know where to look. So maybe you need, that's the problem because that's your job. So you need to be better at it or you need to work, collaborate and work with people. 
So I think it's more what is being reported. When you see live show articles about podcast live shows, they always talk about the ones that make money and nearly hardly ever the read is there. When the read go on national international tours. So I'm like, but why aren't they in your list? It's not that they're not doing live shows. It's just that you didn't know, Mr. I'm white man doing my article, didn't know the read existed. So it's not that there's a lack of them. Is that they get completely ignored. Yeah. Completely ignored. That's such such a good point. I mean, even on iTunes, obviously, they wanted to do something around Black Lives Matter and kind of put a lot of um, black hosted shows on the homepage. It's not just kind of categorizing it as a race conversation. It's like these podcasts are about all sorts of topics. Why should they be highlighted just because when we're talking about race? Why aren't they highlighted yeah. as being the politics show, as being the fashion show, as being the beauty show? But that's the thing is that's where you got a, that's diversity and like leadership, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. You've got to hire different people. If you don't know what the shows are, hire people who do. Like the fact that Berry from Podcasting Colour does not have a job in Apple or at Spotify or one of the apps is actually ridiculous and demonstrates the racism in there because they're how can they have all white editorial teams? Like that's absolutely outrageous. But yet it's been everyone's been able to get away with it. There's a, a blind, there's a very demonstrable blind spot that needs to be addressed. And the way to do that is to hire other people and collaborate. Because, yeah, like it shouldn't be Black Lives Matter because at the moment, this week it's Black Lives Matter. Like I just point out, we are at home. There's a school section of like learning. There are um, educational podcasts by people of colour. Why aren't they in there? Like black people are fully formed humans. <laughs> we could talk about sports. We could talk about, I don't know, food or exercise or literally anything you like a white person could talk about but you only want to like amplify us when there's a BLM movement going on but how about the rest of the year what's going to happen next year or next week or next month like is it going to go back to your all white banner again because if it is you might as well just take them down now and just get back to business as usual and the action being by the way, just to anyone listening, I guess, who's listening to this, it's all very obvious that that is mm. the way that things should be. And it's still very bizarre that it's not that way. But in terms of any industry, like the wellness industry, very, very white. I think it's about diversifying your feed on Instagram, your meeting rooms, your chats around the table, the podcasts you listen to. I mean, like... So like we knew, so when I made About Race, I knew, well, I didn't know, hoped let's say, (laughs) that it would be popular. And so we made sure, I think the last six episodes, we recommend podcasts. And so it's like, if you have a platform, recommend podcasts. Like, it's easy. So, and we didn't have to do it. And they're on the website as well. It might be the last seven episodes. It's basically an idea we had while we were making it. So it's not on like episode one. But it's because we saw that we have a platform now. Let's Let's get some other people some of this gravy. And hopefully now, because the pop- the podcast is so popular, they're still getting their gravy. Because now, even the years later, people are like, oh, Rennie recommended this podcast. Let me go and check it out. And it's, it's such a simple thing to do. But sometimes sharing the platform is a, like there was a, um, a campaign that I saw yesterday um, called Share the Mic. Yeah. And it was white women sharing their um, Instagram platform pages, basically with a black activist or black personality so that they could speak to their white audiences about what is happening in America currently. It's it's such a simple thing. Like just share the mic. 
It's not because you're not taking anything away. We literally did it at the end of the episode. So it's not taking anything from the episode. It's just like, if you listen to the end, you get a little treat. I love that. Yeah. People who have podcasts share other podcasts. As simple yeah. as. Yeah. Simple as that. And it's literally, because it helps, because discovery, everyone says discovery is a problem. And it is, it is a problem because it's hard to discover new podcasts. You find the ones you like and then you just stick with them because you can't find new ones. But it's like, yeah, just help with discoverability. Just recommend podcasts. Like on podcasts, recommend podcasts. Just as part of everyone's show. And it's it's to do with the equality. Like it's not on the pact. <laughs> but it is like, it, if we truly want to make this, in, like we're right at the beginning of the podcasting industry. Like we have, we, like you can shape it, I can shape it. Everyone in it has a chance to help shape it. So let's make it inclusive and let's make it equal and let's platform people because the bigger the industry, the better it is for all of us. A hundred percent. I also love making podcast episodes about podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I love, I love the metaness of it. I could do it literally all, all episodes could just be talking about this industry. But I just wanted to end on a question about, I guess, the future of broccoli. And it just seems like the most exciting place to work for. I'm obsessed with all of you. Like, I'm just like, I wonder what it's like to work there. <laughs> but um, I hope they like it. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you, I'm just, just a general business question, I guess, from someone that runs a business, how far in it, ahead do you feel like you can plan these days do you have a strategy that's like 2021 or do you do you take things a little bit kind of bite-sized chunks at the moment so with anthems we've got a show called anthems our first day back this year so second of jan we um hannah was like i want to do this show called anthems blah 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 women it's like cool and then we were like hey how about anthems pride how about anthems black how about anthems Black US, because America has a Black History Month. And we were like, cool. So on the 6th of January, we decided our whole anthem slate for the year. Anthem's Home came out. That was more of a reactionary thing because of we wanted to create an opportunity for people to earn money because a lot of freelance gigs were going and a lot of people were stuck at home. So we were like, let's just put an open submission out because people can, you know, get a little writing gig and at least, you know, it, we, that was our contribution to the whole pandemic. Yeah. Um, so with Anthems, we've completely planned, but I more have it like I want to do a documentary on, let's say, history. We'll have a history, so it's more general, and then we'll find people or whatever piques our interest, we'll kind of shape it more that way. So I just have budget for, you know, history documentary, fiction show, things like that. That's how I plan. And then you shape it when it's close to the time. What we've actually decided with the climate we're in now is we definitely want to always have a social action strand of shows because we, with About Race and Anthems actually, it is, you can platform, you can make engaging content all the time that can maybe change people's perceptions on things. And I think it's really important to to always want to, well, I like broccoli. That's what our thing is. We want to do that. We want to make, help make the world better. We want to introduce you to new voices. We want to help you platform issues and talk about things. So we've got shows coming up that kind of fall into that background. I love that. I'm I'm just vague. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's really, it's really exciting. And um, I feel exactly the same. I feel like it's a real privilege to have a platform that people listen to you to. So therefore, what are you doing with it? Thank you so much for um, for coming on. I've been I've wanted to interview for interview you for ages about what you're doing at Broccoli. So yeah, thank you for fun. having me. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you.